I'm Warren Berkeley with the Laurel Heights Church of Christ in McAllen, Texas, and we present sermons and classes based on our belief that God's Word needs to be heard today. His Word is unsurpassed, and by that I mean there is no message, no set of instructions, or offer of redemption equal to or better than what is contained in God's Word, the Bible. We know you can hear and view many different kinds of messages today with various claims, content, and choruses of hope. The internet is overflowing with all kinds of worldviews, agendas, messages, sermons, and claims, and life recommendations. Our conviction is the greatest need of the day is to hear God's Word. Thank you for joining us through this electronic avenue of delivering God's Word. Turn with me in your Bible, please. I'm going to read from Romans chapter 9. Now, don't be afraid of the book of Romans. I think sometimes people have been told Romans is difficult, so they are hesitant to read and study it. Go ahead and read and study Romans, and I think you'll discover it isn't as difficult as you may have heard. The Apostle Paul is writing to Christians in Rome, and there remained at this time some misunderstanding about God's plan in Christ to save all who are guilty of sin who want to be saved. God's plan was and is universal. So the gospel plan is an offer from God to save all who are guilty of sin who want to be saved, Jew or Gentile. That plan is on every page of the Roman letter. It is God's plan. And men, Jewish or Gentile, are not entitled to call God's plan into question or dispute his choices or his terms. Here's how that is expressed in Romans 9, 18 through 21. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable? This is an intriguing image that gets your attention, and we will not cover it thoroughly, but there is a point within it I want to cover. It is a protest of the clay toward the potter. Let me ask, do you think that's ever happened? Perhaps you've had the experience of watching a potter work with a lump of clay to make a vessel. Have you ever witnessed that? If you have, what did the lump of clay say to the potter? You're smiling right now. You're saying clay can't talk. The lump of clay is inferior to the potter, cannot communicate, enjoys no rights, 
can't be a part of the decision-making process about the results. That's the point of Paul's illustration. Men and women on earth, human creatures made by God, have no right to protest what God has done, is doing, and will do because God is superior. God is the superior. He knows what he is doing, and he is a perfect decision maker. In this image, it says he has the right of ownership, power, and authority over the clay. The clay cannot answer back. I want to speak to you this morning about God's right to rule. That's the imagery in Romans chapter 9 we've just read. That's the point. But everything before and after Romans 9 leads to the same conclusion that can be called God's right to rule. For example, the prophets of the Old Testament took up this theme consistently, who God is, how he should be regarded, his power, his authority as the creator. I want you to listen to Isaiah 45, 18 and 19. For this is what the Lord says, he who created the heavens, he is God. He who fashioned and made the earth, he founded it. He did not create it to be empty, but formed it to be inhabited. He says, I am the Lord, and there is no other. I have not spoken in secret. From somewhere in a land of darkness, I have not said to Jacob's descendants, Seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. I want to speak to us about God's right to rule, and applications will follow close after these affirmations. God's right to rule. That's our subject. Number one, there's God's right to legislate. As the Bible opens, I mean on the first page, the opening sentence, God's right to rule is affirmed. In the beginning, God. He created everything. Genesis 1 verse 1 and in verse 27 of Genesis 1, he made man in his own image. The earth, since it's made by God, belongs to God. He made us. And that gives to him the right, the authority to legislate what we ought to do in response to him, how we ought to live. He did that with Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, Noah, Abraham, the descendants of Abraham. What you're reading in those accounts is God's right to rule, specifically his right to legislate how the creatures he made ought to live and respond to him. This is sometimes called the creator's authority. Today, if you invent or make something, there is a presumption of ownership and rights. Thus, it is written by Paul, the potter has a right over the clay. And Isaiah said, the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, and the Lord is our king, he will save us. Isaiah 33, 22. He is describing God, the God the Jews dealt with, the God that we deal with. 
Those addressed by the prophets were in trouble because they were not responding as expected to God, their lawgiver. And in the time of Jesus and the apostles, a major problem Jesus and Paul identified was men taking it on themselves to legislate religious law and impose that on people. They were accused of doing what only God has the right to do, legislate law to govern our conduct. Number two, let's look at this from another angle, God's right to pardon. Once it is established that God has a right to legislate, part of that is he has the right to deal with transgressors according to his will, those who violate the law he legislated. What enters in now is the love, grace, and mercy of God who is willing to pardon, but on his terms. Daniel 9 verse 9, in Daniel's prayer for the people, to the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him. You may remember this episode in Mark 2, when Jesus healed a man, Mark 2. It says, he said to the healed man, son, your sins are forgiven. And people in the crowd acknowledged what everybody knew, who can forgive sins but God alone. While they were raising a question about Jesus, the question was based on what was true and known. God has the power to forgive sins. God's right to rule includes the right to legislate and the right to pardon. Number three, God's right to judge. If God is the creator with the right to make laws we should follow and the right to pardon on his terms those who transgress the laws, doesn't it follow he is the ultimate judge. Look with me in James chapter 4. James 4, 11 and 12, here it is. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Now listen to verse 12. I'm in James 4, Verse 12, there is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge your neighbor? This reflects that we do not have the power of ultimate judgment, but that God does. There is one lawgiver and judge. Abraham once said, Genesis 18, 25, Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? So as portrayed in the potter clay image in Romans 9, God has the right to rule. It is his right to make laws. We call that to legislate. It is his right to pardon. And it is his right to judge. Now, if you believe what is written on the pages of your Bible that I've reviewed with you, you have this knowledge. You are like a lump of clay having no dispute with God. He has the supreme right to rule. Here's where this knowledge must take us. What is my response? 
knowing who God is, that he is like the potter and we the clay, that he has the right to legislate, pardon, and judge, how do we use this knowledge? Consider, God's right to legislate means I ought to obey what he legislates. I ought to put myself under his legislation and do what his law requires. I ought to obey him. Jesus did. In Philippians 2 and verse 8, Jesus was obedient to the Father to the point of death. And Jesus said in Luke eleven twenty eight, Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. It is a strain to imagine someone who knows who God is but doesn't obey him. Knowing God is the creator with the right to govern us and that he has revealed what we should be in our lives, how can we not obey him? Obedience to the gospel initially and after is not grounds of merit. Obedience is a product of faith, but the response may sound like this, my obedience falls short. It is useless. It's a dead end. That leads me to this, God's right to pardon, his willingness to forgive. What should our response be? God's right to pardon means I should accept his pardon. I tried to obey and I fail. I should accept his pardon on his terms. When the gospel was first proclaimed that salvation from sin can be found in Jesus Christ, there were many people who had discovered their disobedience and knew their guilt. There were people listening to the Apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2 who said, we want to know how to be pardoned. What are the terms of pardon? How do we accept the gift? Peter said, repent and be baptized, Acts 2.38. In Paul's letter, to the Colossians. He came to a place where he was urging the Colossians to continue to serve the Lord. And he put it this way in Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. How did these people become Christians? They received Christ Jesus the Lord. What did that involve? Look down at verse 11. They were buried with Christ in baptism. What were they doing? They were receiving pardon from God on his terms. If you know who God is, if you acknowledge his right to rule, but you have not followed his rules, he's willing to pardon his right to legislate should cause us to want to obey him. And as we discover we fall short in that obedience, we accept his offer of pardon on his terms. That has validity based on the death of Christ. Then God's right to judge means I ought to prepare for that. Sometimes the question comes up in religious discourse, in conversation, who is going to heaven? 
Don't let a preacher answer that from his own viewpoint or the viewpoint of his group. Always let Jesus answer that in Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Who? Who will go to heaven? Those who do the will of the Father. The Father who has the right to rule, who has the right to legislate, pardon, and judge. Here's something I preached about a few weeks ago. We don't know when Jesus will come again. I don't know, and you don't know. People who claim they can read the signs and know, they don't know. He will come like a thief in the night, and that means without advance warning. What do I do about that? As I prepare to face God as the ultimate judge, I get ready, and I stay ready. So, in 2 Peter 3, 11 through 13. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Knowing what is ahead, we respect God now. Honor Christ and stay ready for what is coming, either in our personal departure from the earth through death or the Lord's final coming. Spend your time getting ready, not trying to figure out when. Knowing God has the right to rule, to legislate, to pardon, and promise, and he will call everything to a close when he wills. See, God is supreme, the creator, almighty. Ephesians 4 and verse 6 says he is over all. So we conclude with this question. What is your present relationship with God? As you think about that, remember he made you he sustains you, and he sent his son for you, who says to you through the word, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. As you think about this, remember who you're dealing with. Almighty God, who is perfectly good, eternal, gracious, but who is persistently against evil. As you think about all of this, remember you hold no guarantee on tomorrow. And as you think about this, remember that the Father has given all authority to the Son, Jesus Christ. And that leads me to one more passage, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Thank you for listening to this recording.